Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi folks, I'm Amy Wright, here to share a conversation that I had with a friend of Diddy TV's named John Oates. You heard me right. The Hall & Oates superstar is also a Roots music aficionado and an outstanding player in the finger-picking style of blues greats like Mississippi John Hurt. We've connected with Oates a few times over the years, including two recording sessions at our studios in Memphis as part of the Diddy TV concert series, but we've never before connected quite like this. We had a great talk on a video call to discuss his new album, Live in Nashville, recorded with the Good Road Band, an all-star cast of Americana artists, including Sam Bush. It was a real treat to hear from John, and I'm happy to be able to share our talk with you now. Hi, John. Welcome back to Diddy TV. How are you? It's great. Um, I've had some such great experiences with Diddy and you, you all. It's so uh, pleasure to come back, even if in this virtual world. Yeah, a- absolutely. And um, we're going to talk to you a little bit about today about the uh, John Oates and the Good Road Band Live in Nashville album that you just recorded. What a crazy group, I mean, of talented musicians that you're working with. Can you tell me a little bit about who they are and how y'all got together? Yes, yeah, too bad I couldn't find any good players, huh? <laughs> Truly, right? It, it really, it's, it's got to start off with Sam Bush, who's obviously a uh, Americana, a mandolin uh, legend. And Sam was involved in the recording of the album Arkansas, which led to the live album. And he didn't go on the road with us all the time, but he played some very important shows because, of course, Sam has a life of his own and his own band. Uh, but the rest of the members are, are pretty, pretty solid and permanent. And that's Guthrie Trap on lead guitar, who's just absolutely a monster. Uh, Steve Mackey on bass, Josh Daddy Day on drums, Russ Paul on pedal steel, and um, a guy named Nathaniel Smith, who plays cello, actually plays on the, in the Casey Musgraves band. And that's the exact lineup that I recorded the Arkansas album. So when we went back to the Station Inn in January to record this live album, I was able to assemble the exact same personnel. And um, it was very exciting to have these guys, you know, the same guys who made the record playing live, you know, that night. And we captured it, and uh, that's the basis for the live album. And prior to recording the album, you guys have been touring together for a bit, correct? The core band has been touring a lot. I mean, we were at Diddy TV, um, and uh, we 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 were on the road for about two years. Uh, playing a lot of shows all over the country, and um, it really brought the it brought the band together. There's nothing like uh, being on tour to to develop the, com- the camaraderie and the band itself. Um, you know, every night you play, the songs seem to get better. The arrangements evolve. Uh, cool things might happen spontaneously that then become, you know, you put it into the arrangement. And so, I wanted to capture um, capture the magic of this band at the at kind of uh, at, a, at a moment where they were really peaking. And luckily, we got it in before the uh, shutdown happened. We recorded this on January 9th in Nashville at the Station Inn. Well, that's very lucky. Um, We always can tell when bands come to the studio here at Diddy, when the band has been working together for a while, there's this cohesiveness and I think a camaraderie and comfort level on stage. And I think from a live performance perspective, it really shows. Oh, absolutely. You can't fake that. That's something that just, um, and really, you know, I always say that um, you can you can put together five amazing or six, four or whatever, amazing players, but they don't really become a band until they play together. 
and then that then that takes the, their their um, input and what they they bring to the table to another level. It's it's like a sports team in, in a sense. Too. You can have all these all stars, but until they really play together, it's not really a team. Yeah, that's a that's that's actually a very good analogy. Analogy. Um, so back in January, when you decided to record the live in Nashville um, uh, taping, what made you decide to do it right then? Well, because, well, there was a number of reasons. One is that I was supposed to go out on right as we speak. I was supposed to be in the middle of a forty-city tour with Daryl Hall, a, a giant Hall and Oates tour with Squeeze and KT Tunstall, which was really going to be great. Um, and I, I knew that I wasn't going to be working with the guys in the Good Road Band very much in 2020. So I said, you know what, let me capture what we've got and the place where we're at musically right now. And it was just luck. It was dumb luck because I had no idea that our world would uh, close down. And so uh, I'm really glad I captured it that night. So Mississippi John Hurt was one of the in- inspirations for this, this album. What is it about his music in particular that really does inspire you or you know, you know, about his, his music in particular? Well, I have a direct connection to Mississippi John Hurt. Um, I, first of all, I saw him perform many times in the, in the mid-60s uh, when he had been rediscovered during the folk boom, the folk, uh, you know, revival. And um, he also was, um, used to stay at my friend's house in Philadelphia. Uh, he was my friend and guitar teacher, a guy named Jerry Ricks. And Jerry Ricks uh, kind of, uh, kind of became his like uh, de facto tour manager, so to speak, because you know he they didn't have enough money to stay in hotels. A lot of these bluesmen were being rediscovered. You know they they weren't familiar with northern cities, and so he would stay at Jerry's house. Jerry would take him around for the first performances, and when Mississippi John Hurt uh, passed away in 1966, his uh, guitar that he played at the Newport Folk Festival was given to my guitar teacher Jerry Ricks. And um, in early 1970s, when Daryl and I were just starting out, um, we were on our way to New York to record our first album. And I wanted Jerry Ricks to play with me. And he said, should I bring the John Hurt guitar with me and you can play that? I said, of course. So it just so happens that I just happen to have it right here. Beautiful. This is the guitar that was given to John Hurt uh, at the Newport Folk Festival in 1963. And... um, I played it on the first two Hall & Oates albums, and I was able to buy it back just two years ago. So it's, um, there's, a, there's a very uh, spiritual and physical connection to John Hurt. And in, you know, and in addition to that, I loved his, uh, his style. He was very unique among the bluesmen. He, he played uh, in a, a bit more of a ragtime style of fingerpicking. He wasn't, he wasn't a real kind of what, what people uh, think of as Delta Blues, slide guitar, kind of, you know, kind of primitive in, in a way. He was much more sophisticated. And, um, but, uh, you know, he was a Piedmont, uh, he was from the Piedmont area of Mississippi. And um, he just, there was something about him that I just appealed to me. I was reading a little bit about, about the album and you took the blues from Mississippi to Chicago and that journey on the album. What uh, are some of the other songs on the album, other artists that you feature? And, you know, why was it important to, to you to feature those specific artists on the album? Well, I, I have to go back to the prior album, to the Arkansas album, which led mm-hmm. to this album. Um, when I, my original intention was to do a tribute to Mississippi John Hurt, and I thought that's all it was going to be. But once I heard the sound of this band in the studio, I realized that I was missing you know, an opportunity to do something a little bit more expansive, I guess you'd say. So what I did was I began to do research about um, the type of playlists 
uh, in juke, local juke joints, uh, what was being played in the early days of radio, the early days of the phonograph machine. And I realized, you know, there was a moment in time when it was really the, it really kind of the definition of pop music became real. If you can buy it on a record, if you can hear it on the radio, and a lot of people like it, that's my definition of a pop song. So when I started seeing that, that there were artists who were selling millions of copies of records in the early 1920s, I thought to myself, here's a chance for me to create a, a, a musical snapshot of this very important era that I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of. I, and I, you know, I don't want to you know, make assumptions, but I think a lot of younger people might uh, think that pop music started with rock and roll in the 50s, uh, but it didn't. Uh, and uh, so that's how the album kind of expanded in scope. Since the band has been on the road for two years, we added even more songs. Um, I, I got invited to do a Johnny Cash tribute, and uh, I chose a, a song that Johnny Cash had done, actually recorded in Memphis at Sun Records. Uh, he wrote a song called Big River, and uh, I read that he thought it would be a great slow blues. And Sam Phillips at, at Sun Records in Memphis uh, said, no, no, it's got to be an up-tempo country song. So when I was asked to do a Johnny Cash song, I thought rather than try to, you know, kind of copy his version, I wanted to try to reimagine what it might have sounded like had he done it as a slow blues. So we included this unique arrangement of Big River on the record. Um, another song was uh, the great Don Gibson classic called Oh Lonesome Me. And uh, it was the first song that I played, uh, that I could play and accompany myself on guitar when I was about nine or 10 years old. And I thought, this will be cool. Let me, let me, let me play that again. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to have, a have touchstones in my musical career. You know, the things that were actually important to, to me personally, but also to my musical DNA. So that's two. two, uh, two. And then there's a great uh, uh, Jimmy Rogers classic uh, called Miss the Mississippi and You. I was asked to play that at the Bristol Rhythm and Roots Festival a number of years ago, and I've always loved the song. And then I found out that Mississippi John Hurt was a huge fan of Jimmy Rogers, which I didn't know. So as I, as I dug deeper and deeper into this early American popular music, I started finding all these unique connections. And then the album really became more about that. So, um, I mean, that's just three examples, and I could go on and on and on. I really like the analogy that today's pop music or pop music in the 20s, it was still popular music, and it's something that really resonated with people. And we're all people, right? So... You play something that was popular back then, and you'll find a new audience for that, I think. Well, a great song is a great song. Uh, right. You know, a great song will stand the test of time, as, as we all know. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things. And I think, you know, the other thing that, that struck me about that whole era and time was that something revolutionary had happened. First of all, radio was pretty much, you know, in everyone's home. Anyone who could afford a radio had a radio. So now they could hear uh, entertainment and they could hear voices and music that came from different parts of, of the country. It wasn't just a regional thing. And then with the invention of the phonograph machine, all of a sudden people could actually take music into their homes and play it. Whereas before, prior to, to having a record player, someone had to buy sheet music and play it on the piano or play it on guitar. So the only way to hear music was to hear it live. Now you could hear recorded music which really is, is a, it's a mind-blowing change. I mean, it's, it's as important as the invention of the Internet, really. The way the Internet uh, expanded our current 
scope of information and uh, cultures. The phonograph machine brought music into people's homes for the first time. It's, a, it's really something that I think people take for granted. Um, but once I realized how important this was, I thought it was would be a, a really unique opportunity for me to, um, to capture it and to try to celebrate it in a way. We have an Edison phonograph here from the 1920s. It's a hand crank uh, phonograph. And it's not lost on me that every time we play a song, and one song took, took up a whole album. That's how that worked. And how amazing it must have been for people to be in their living room and be able to hand crank and dance to a song in their own living room rather than having to always see music live. That had to be a, a complete change of society. And then, of course, you know, if you didn't like if the song was a little too slow for you, you could just crank a little faster. <laughs> right, exactly. Speed it up a little bit. Um, with your earlier music and your the pop music that you created, um, is there an element of blues in there from your uh, from your youth when you were playing this and with your guitar teacher? Absolutely. Well, you know, as when I was about 12, 12 years old, I'd been playing guitar for about five or six years. So um, I was good enough on guitar to get around. I had a very good friend of mine I went to school with who had an older brother who went away to college in South, in North Carolina. And when he came back at Christmas break, he brought all these amazing folk and blues records with him because the folk revival was happening on college campuses. So I, I'd never heard this music before. So I started listening to all this stuff, um, Lightning Hopkins, Muddy Waters, you know, uh, Robert Johnson. And I, I was blown away. And, and even the more contemporary people like Doc Watson, Joan Baez, who were, who were part of the new folk movement. And I, um, I just dove in head first, and I began to learn these songs and, and fall in love with, with this music. And as I got older and began to see some of these performers, you know, uh, actually perform and uh, live, it was just a, um, it was an amazing experience because I realized I was seeing true uh, innovators and icons who wouldn't be around that much longer. And it really, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was very aware of that. And in combination with that, living in Philadelphia at the time, I got to see all the great R&B artists at the time, you know, as they came through on the Chitlin circuit. And the theater was the Uptown Theater in, in Philly, where I could see Sam and Dave and Otis Redding and The Temptations and Miracles and so on and so forth. So I, so I was seeing all this at the same time. I was seeing this great new urban R&B soul music combined with this rootsy, authentic um, you know, everything from Appalachian to Delta Blues. And then I began to see that they weren't that far apart. They really were an evolution of one another. As the blues came up from New Orleans, up, up the river, um, you know, stopping along the way. Of course, Memphis is a, is a huge touchstone because the stuff that came out of Memphis, not only the country stuff and Sun Records and the early rockabilly, but the stuff that uh, Booker T and the MGs and Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn were, were doing, that was all predicated on the music that, just came from just a little bit south of where they were. And so as it landed in Memphis, it became a little more sophisticated, you know, more electric instruments, moving on up through St. Louis, then on into Chicago. And really you have, a, you have the pathway to the birth of rock and roll. Music is such a continuum. And you look back and you see where blues turned into rock. And I look at some of your music, of course, major, major hits. And people are going to look back and say, you know, how did Hall & Oates influence folks after, after they had their mini hits? So what would you say would be your influence on uh, music that came after you? Well, 
uh, you know, it's hard to say because we're, we're still around and um, haven't, yeah. haven't, haven't kind of uh, gone Still away. having influences. <laughs> I, I, hear, I, hear, I hear heavy 80s influences uh, in a lot of the newer pop bands, and that's been going on for some time. The very fact that a lot of younger artists and younger groups have sampled our music and used, our, used, used the basis of our ideas and um, music to, to kind of reimagine their own, you know, their own stuff is uh, I think that's that kind of um, in a way that kind of answers the question uh, and hopefully you know our songs have, have uh, been able to stand the test of time and uh, we have songs that we wrote in the early 70s we still play in concert these days and people like them they sound just as contemporary as they did when we wrote them um, so for a songwriter that's the yardstick that you, you try to achieve. it's got to be gratifying well it is it's uh, it feels good to know that you know that we have a new generation of fans uh, because the songs resonate with them. Is there any music out there that, or another album that you would like to create that's percolating in your head right now? Uh, no, but I, I'm beginning to collaborate with a lot more people, a lot more people who are very diverse and um, doing different things. Uh, and I feel like after this, uh, the Arkansas and the Live from Nashville album really kind of put me in a certain place and, and we really captured a moment. I feel now that I'm, I'm kind of moving back in a little more pop direction. Mm-hmm. And when I say pop, only I, what I mean is uh, it's something that's not rooted so much in the past, but is mm-hmm. I can use my past influences and collaborate with younger and newer artists to, to make something new happen. So that's kind of where, where things are going. I'm, I'm working on a great movie project uh, called Gringa, which is a story of a young girl from Southern California who her mother passes away and she goes to Mexico to find her estranged father. And she gets there and finds he's, a, he's an alcoholic and um, she shows up on his doorstep and you'll have to watch the movie to find out the rest. But um, I'm, um, I just did a duet with a young uh, singer from uh, Mexico City and I did another very unique song with a hip-hop artist from South Carolina. So uh, I'm, I'm really starting to do more things like that right now. Well, what I love about you, John, is you're always doing something new and innovative and creative and it's the mark of a true creative person, but you're an amazing musician. We love having you here on Diddy TV always. This album's coming out here real soon in, in September. September 18th. September 18th. So everyone needs to run out and get a copy. And we wish you the best with this, and we can't wait to have you again. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. I love coming to Memphis, and um, just uh, put me on your invite list. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Oates. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more of the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 